0: Glenn the Geek, and you're listening to the monthly Mustang episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February the 2nd. This episode is brought to you by the Mustang Heritage Foundation. Good morning, horse world. The first Tuesday of the month is all about America's horse, the Mustang, hosted by the Mustang Heritage Foundation well welcome everybody to this Mustang episode yes you heard that right I'm so excited and for the 12 years we've been doing horse radio network and the 10 years of doing horses in the morning I've always wanted to do a Mustang episode of course most of you know that Jamie has Mustangs and she's adopted Mustangs to the prison program and uh, when Michelle contacted me and said hey look we're over here with the Mustang Heritage Foundation and we'd like to do something with you guys I said I have the spot for you I know many of our auditors who we We've already told about this, are very excited about that because they own Mustangs. And we're going to have two terrific hosts with, for you, and they're with the Mustang Heritage Foundation. One of them is Michelle I just talked about. She's the Director of Marketing, Michelle Bonds. Welcome.
2: Thanks. Excited to be here.
0: And you sound terrific with your brand new sparkly mic. You sound Yes,
2: great. I'm loving it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then we also have the Executive Director. You heard him on our show about a month ago. Alex uh, is with us. Hi, Alex. Hey there, how are you? Good. I'm so excited that you two are hosting this show. We're we're very excited to be talking about Mustangs once a month here. And, And nobody better to do it with than the Mustang Heritage Foundation.
2: We're excited to be here.
0: Now, let's... Let's, what kind of things do you want to do with the show? What do you hope to accomplish? And either one of you can take that.
1: Really, we're just wanting to help get the, the word out there. Um, you know, I think there are so many opportunities for folks to get involved within the equine industry, you know, even if you can't adopt or purchase, you know, just learning about the situation. Um, we're just wanting to, to spread the word, uh, share the, the good work that we're doing, and uh, get more people out there riding Mustangs. And you guys have been around for how long, Alex? Oh, goodness. We actually... The uh, organization was formed back in 2002. Um, The first notable event that we did was uh, in 2007 with our first Extreme Mustang makeover there in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, So we've been... uh, Around since 2002, but blowing and going since 2007.
0: And that was one of the first, what was interesting about that Extreme Mustang
1: Makeovers, was
0: one of the first of that kind of things out there that really blew up. It became so popular.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, You know, it it was started, uh, you know, that 100 days, 100 horses, $100,000 concept was very unique in 2007. Well, Um, $100,000 for anything was unique in the horse world. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) $100,000 Hundred thousand dollars for anything right now would be great. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it took off and spread like wildfire. Um, and I think the the most you know complimentary form of flattery is duplication. Um, and obviously, you'll you'll see that there's several uh, training makeovers out there now, which is which is really really cool. So it it it's a very unique special type event that that we've been able to produce for the last uh, coming on 14 years now.
0: And Michelle, but the ultimate goal is, is, I mean, yes, you hold you hold the competitions, but the ultimate goal is just to get, increase awareness and get people adopting Mustangs, get them out of the pens.
2: Correct. So yes, that's the ultimate goal of the Extreme Mustang Makeover and all of our programs is to, to help these horses find homes, to get them out of holding and into loving homes where they can go on and do great things.
0: Well, tell us what you, Michelle, have planned for today's episode, and I'll bail out and let you guys do a show.
2: Sure. So today we're going to just talk about Mustang Heritage Foundation and who we are and how you can get involved. And then we're really excited. We've got two really great guests coming on here a little bit later. Um, Luke Castro is one of our extreme Mustang makeover competitors. A Mustang Magic competitor has a great story, um, really unique story about how he got involved with Mustangs and then Stephanie Lindsley, who is in our, uh, another one of our programs, the trainer incentive program. And she's going to talk about how she got involved as well.
1: Well, we're very, very excited today to, uh, you know, fill the, The audience in on a little bit of history uh, of the Mustang Heritage Foundation. Obviously, this isn't going to be a recurring uh, monthly thing, but we wanted to kind of get you guys some foundational groundwork. Um, So as I mentioned just a couple of of minutes ago, um, Mustang Heritage Foundation started back in 2002, uh, and then our first big event was in 2007, and we've experienced exponential growth in number of placements and people that we've been able to work with and engage uh, and trainers. Um, So we are actually located uh, just outside of Austin, Texas, uh, in Granger, Texas. Uh, We're very, very fortunate to have an office there, uh, a little bit out in the sticks, which is nice. Everyone has a nice, pretty drive, Uh, except for you, Michelle. Michelle, you're uh, up in Amarillo, right?
2: I am. I'm up here in the panhandle of Texas where it's never windy
1: never never ever ever at all (laughs) (laughs) um so we've uh got bulk of our staff here in uh in central texas we have some folks in um, amarillo obviously michelle's up there we've got some uh, folks in north texas and then um colorado so we kind of have a uh, remote staff obviously covid has helped us uh, broaden our horizons in having a fully remote staff though but we're very much looking forward to being able to get folks back into the office so um with the organization, we've been able to do a bunch of really cool things. We have several different programs. Um, and I guess probably the biggest reason that the programs, whether it's the Extreme Mustang Makeover or Trainer Incentive Program or or whatever, are so important is because of the sheer number uh, of wild horses that are out there. Uh, and, you know, Michelle, I guess, would you like to offer some commentary on what it means to you as to why it's important we do what we do?
2: Yeah. So when I came on board with the Mustang Heritage Foundation, I obviously was aware of um, the issues facing, you know, some of the issues facing wild horses and burrows. But when I came on board and truly learning the stats of how many horses are out there, how many horses are in holding, um, that was really eye opening for me. So it's really neat to be part of this organization that's, helping these horses get out of holding and helping them find homes and just seeing the horses once they've gotten out of holding and they've been with a new owner and just seeing the things that they do. I mean, it's, it's really amazing.
1: It is, it is. It's a, it's a very, very rewarding, um, cause to be be working towards. Um, For those of you that aren't aware, um, most current estimates um, per the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, you'll hear a lot about them uh, as we talk throughout our our monthly podcast here. Um, As of last March, so March of 2020, they estimate that there's over 95,000 Thousand wild horses and burros out there on the rangelands in eleven western states. Now, the appropriate management level, which is what is prescribed and sustainable, is about twenty seven thousand. So uh, clearly, there are uh, th- there's a big difference there. And so, the Bureau of Land Management works really hard uh, to gather uh, animals off of the rangeland and and put them into private long term care facilities or or, uh, off-range corrals. Um, And that's where we get involved. We get to help pull those animals out of the off-range corrals and get them placed into private homes. Um, And since 2007, when we first started placing, uh, we've had the opportunity to, with our trainers, place over 16,000 animals into private homes. So we're pretty proud um, and pretty excited about that. We know we have a lot of work left to do,
2: I think one of the things that was, that's really always interesting to me that I don't know that people always realize is the number of horses that are in holding. Um, I think the current, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but the current estimate in holding um, is 50,000 and those horses, obviously they, they're able to live there and live out their lives in holding and, and be cared for and be fed and be taken care of. Um, But obviously, if we can find them a a great home where they can have an owner and they can have, you know, uh, something to do then then that's our goal and the fact that we've been able to place 16,000 of them over the years is just unbelievable and I think you know we have like you said we have big goals to continue to increase that number and I'm just really excited to to be part of that um, I think we have some great programs I think we're going to talk about those next Um, but we have some great programs for basically anybody to get involved and learn more about these horses the issues that face them and you know obviously our ideal goal maybe bring one home
1: probably a question that that many of the the listeners are asking today is you know well that's that's great you know there's all, all these animals but but why does it matter to me well um, anyone here in the states specifically um, we're all taxpayers and obviously those horses and burros that are uh, in government care have a, a Feed costs and care costs and vet and, and all that good stuff. So um, estimates are that for every wild horse and burrow that we get to uh, get placed into private care, not only do we help get them a good home where they have a job, but it also saves taxpayers a About $50,000 per animal. So over the course of the last 14 years, we've been able to save taxpayers uh, over $800 million um, by our estimates. So uh, I don't know about you, but saving a little bit of uh, Uncle Sam's money is never a bad thing.
2: Okay, so we've got um, some really great programs to help anyone get involved in the Mustang Heritage Foundation and to kind of help our mission of bringing more Mustangs home. Really, whether you are looking to adopt a Mustang, if you're just looking to support support the work that we do, support the wild horses and the burros, um or if you are really interested in training and becoming competitive, um, we really have something for everyone. And I think that's something that makes the Mustang Heritage Foundation really unique in terms of an equine organization. And,
1: uh, before we dive into the programs, I think one thing that uh, we kind of take for granted, Michelle, is the the family atmosphere that's really developed. Um, I know you yourself participate in some other disciplines, um, and I know we've had a extensive conversations about, you know, it really is kind of a a big family with these Mustang folks.
2: I would definitely agree. I mean, since um I've become part of this fa- this Mustang family, I would say that's that's something that we hear truly across the board. It's not, it's mm-hmm. it's really not a like a marketing gimmick or anything like that. It's something we hear from our competitors, from our trainers, from our donors, um, from just really anybody that's involved with it. That's we we hear that all the time. Um I've been fortunate enough, and I know that you have as well, to to spend some time with some of our competitors editors and trainers. And that's something that they've have expressed over and over is what a family atmosphere it is and how willing everyone is to, to help each other. I yeah. think one of the really neat um, stories is that we have, we have photographers that live out in the West and they go out and they, you know, take pictures of the, the herds that are still out there and then they sort of catalog those images and, and then if they find out that one of those animals has been gathered and has been adopted, they will reach out on their own accord and provide those images to those people mm-hmm. to show them their horse in the wild. And I mean, to have a horse that grew up in the wild, you you obviously you don't get to see it being born or anything like that. To have those images I can imagine would just be absolutely priceless. And the fact that they're just willing to do that because yeah. they you know feel so so deeply for these horses and these people is is pretty incredible
1: it, it really is it really is and you know i think the reason that that plays so well into the the various different programs is you know it, it, we're talking about training and gentling a, a formerly wild horse right and i think a yeah. lot of folks might say hey you know this is this is a daunting task you know i've never i've never trained a horse period or i've only ever worked with domestics or you know quarter horses or arabians or whatever um but i think the reason that this family atmosphere is so very important important is that, you know, you've got a built-in network, a support network, um, of trainers, literally all across the country. We have trainers in all lower 48 States. Yep. Um, and it's amazing how much, you know, camaraderie and helpfulness you'll see, um, at the competitions or, you know, whether it's via social media and Hey, I'm having a trouble with this. How would you handle it? And that's, ex- yeah. Yeah. That's exactly
2: right. There are so many different, that's um, something I think that it's also really unique. There are so many, and I'm certainly part of um, different groups on social media um, for the the disciplines that I'm involved in. Um, But the groups that I'm involved in um, on Facebook or Instagram and things like that on social media that are Mustang specific, um, it's just a little bit different. Everybody is so willing to help Mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. Um, everybody's so willing to connect and, you know, if somebody's looking for a horse or wants to learn more about their horse and maybe another person had it previously, they're so willing to help each other and, and really make sure that they are all succeeding
1: absolutely absolutely and so it's just it's it's a fun family environment to be a part of um, regardless of your training skill level or you know how much you you want to get involved or if you just want to be a supporter or spectator or whatever Um, but there all of that to be said I think there are uh, obviously a lot of different programs I kind of interrupted you there but you were kind of starting to talk about some of the different programs that folks can get involved in so I'm I'll try not to interrupt you this time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, that's great. I, I think one of the most unique programs that we have, a truly unique program, is the Trainer Incentive Program. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. was not anything that I, um, any type of program I had ever been familiar with. Um, but basically what this program is, is it allows trainers, horse trainers, to um, apply and become approved as, as an MHF tip, what we call tip trainers. Um, and then they are able to go and pick up wild horses from, from holding. And they basically, it's basically groundbreaking them, gentling them is what we call it. Um, but you know, picking up feet, leading, loading in a trailer, just kind of the basics, being able to brush them, being able to handle them. Um, and then what, and then those tip train, then those trainers find an adopter, and once they find an adopter, then we actually pay them for finding that adoption.
1: It it can be pretty lucrative depending on what you're doing and where you're at and what sort of clientele base that you have. Um, it ranges anywhere from, uh, you know, if every horse that you're able to get placed into, um, or with adopter and adopter, excuse me, um, is worth a thousand dollar incentive. Um, so you go through, there's a bunch of paperwork you have to submit, um, with the BLM as well as through us. And then, um, we will cut you a check for a thousand bucks for every horse that you get placed into um, a private home. So that's uh, pretty exciting. And um, definitely we've seen some great utilization of the uh, program, especially now as folks are are here uh, at home, more so during during COVID especially.
2: That's exactly right. But what I think is really unique about this program also is how great it is for adopters as well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. if you are interested in becoming involved with mustangs, if you're interested in getting adopting a mustang, then this gives you a way. This gives you almost an immediate support system. Yep. Um it gives you somebody that you can go to, you can adopt from them. They can tell you about that horse. They can help you, you know, they can show you what that horse can do and then you know what I've heard from a lot of our trainers is then they are really able to to help that adopter down the road. If, if they want yep. that, if they want that help, they are able to, you know, reach out and say, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Um, mm-hmm. but it really just, it's kind of like, like their first friend. Like if you're an, a, a new adopter to the Mustang world, it's like you have a first friend, you're, you're, yep. your tip trainer. So exactly. I think that's, exactly. that's a really unique aspect of it as well.
1: Definitely, definitely, definitely. And, um, I guess one thing that I I had kind of mentioned burrows a little bit earlier in the show, but, um, that's, that's one thing that I think we should touch on. And so obviously Mm -hmm. there's a lot of wild horses out there, but there's also wild donkeys. Um, and burrows are also eligible to participate in the, the tip program, right?
2: Yes, they are. So we have um we have tip trainers that exclusively work with burros um and then we have Um, and then obviously then people can adopt the burrows as well. Um, there's a little bit, I was, this was totally new to me, but, um, there's a little bit of a, like a cult following with the burrows, which is really, really cool. When I was in, I was recently in Colorado and I got to see, um, these burrows, like these burrow, a tip trainer, a burrow, excuse me, I'm a burrow tip trainer in action. Um, and then got just, spend some time with some of her adopters and they do burrow um pack racing and it it was just like this whole new world that i was definitely not aware of it was a really cool but I think that you possibly have a burrow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. Michelle knows this. I'm, I'm partial to them. Um, we actually, my wife and I, have a burrow um, that we adopted uh, from the BLM uh, back in 2015. Um, his name is Wendell, uh, and he actually was a beer burrow at our wedding. So he walked around and uh, served beer. So that's kind of my uh, two truths and a lie fact uh, a lot of times because people don't believe that I have a formerly wild burrow that served beer at my wedding but just goes to show that they you know they can do just about anything
2: (laughs) honestly i truly i really wanted that because at my wedding and my husband said no because we didn't have our own burrow so a little jealous
1: (laughs) i know i know we're we're pretty fortunate uh so later on in the show we're gonna touch base on uh, several different events that we have Um, but with that i'm gonna turn it over to michelle
2: Yeah, so I am going to introduce our sponsor. We have a great sponsor for this episode, Western Horseman. Western Horseman has been the cowboy and cowgirl's most trusted source for all things horse-related for 85 years. The Western Horseman brand is dedicated to serving readers who are passionate about pleasure, ranch, and performance horses and the authentic Western culture they inspire. After 85 years, Western Horseman has evolved into more than a print magazine, folks can now access Western Horseman through their website, westernhorseman.com, their Facebook page and Instagram page, as well as their library of videos on YouTube. Standing the test of time is the commitment to providing authentic, trustworthy, and entertaining information to the people who feel the same love for the horse that Western Horseman does. And we would like to especially thank Western Horseman not only for helping sponsor this episode, but Western Horseman is a title of sponsor of many of our events and so they've been a close partner for many years and we are yep. very grateful for them. I don't know if you knew Alex but it's their 85th anniversary this year.
1: You know that's that's older than uh, any of my remaining grandparents. So yeah that that's 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 a long time. So, that's very that's cool. That's pretty
2: impressive, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we're very excited to have a wonderful tip trainer from uh, Colorado joining us right now, Stephanie Lindsley. Uh, from what I understand, Stephanie, I think you and I uh, both share an alma mater with uh, being CSU grads. Is that correct?
3: That is correct. I'm a proud Ram.
1: Go Rams! There we go. I like it. I know you're you're located there in Colorado. Um, where in Colorado exactly?
3: Yeah, I'm currently out in Deer Trail, Colorado, about an hour east of Denver, at the Great Escape Mustang Sanctuary, where I manage the um, tip storefront out there, um, do tip training and Mustang training out there as well, and manage the nonprofit organization.
1: Awesome. There's a lot of great work that you guys are doing out there in in Deer Trail, and and getting a lot of horses placed, and you know you, you're doing. Regular tip, you're doing tip storefronts, you're doing tip challenges. Um, but before we dive into all of that stuff, I mean, tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from? How long you've been working with horses? All that good stuff.
3: Sure. So I I didn't grow up with horses. I, you know, I wasn't wasn't born on a ranch, but I got there as quick as I could. <laughs> so I, I like, like many people, I, I grew up dreaming of horses. I wanted to, sure. I loved horses for, for no good reason. I, <laughs> so when I was about 10 years old, my godfather got me my first horse. who was a, he was a half Arab, half Dutch warm blood. He was green broke. He was absolutely inappropriate for me. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and
1: We've we, all were, been
3: there. we were well on our way to killing each other. And, you know, my, I was very timid and unconfident. And so that wasn't very good because then the horse was just trying to run over me all the time. And my godfather was this very, you know, stern cowboy and that wasn't a good approach because then the horse was trying to, you know, he was losing confidence and getting Mm -hmm. scared. And so this dream I had of, you know, riding off into the sunset with this beautiful horse, it was absolutely not what I was, what I was thinking it was going to be and so kind of as a last ditch effort I attended a horsemanship clinic it was a natural horsemanship clinic that came to the barn I boarded at and that started my the inspiration um, that all of a sudden it became possible that this connection this horse human connection became possible through clear communication and trust and respect and all the all the things that that are more mainstream now and Mm -hmm. in the horsemanship world. And so that, that got me started on, okay, I want this to be my career. I want to dedicate my life to horsemanship and learning about how we can be partners to these beautiful animals. And um, so shortly after that, I, you know, my godfather was, we grew up in Grand Junction. There's a wild horse herd um, right there in the, in the backyard there. So I grew up Around the Little Book Cliffs Wild Horse Range, So mustangs were were part of my life. You know, about about 12 years old. I adopted my first Mustang at 13 because by then I knew everything. So I was definitely <laughs> ready to tackle w- gentling a wild Mustang, and um, I that was a disaster, of course, because <laughs> you, as you know, if, when you when you know everything about horses, you're about to get a horse who Shows you everything you don't know.
1: Absolutely. And
3: Mustangs, Mustangs in particular, will tell you, will really show you what you don't know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just because you love them enough, just because you take care of them enough, does not mean you're going to have a successful um, experience with them. And I, I was just lucky enough to have um, friends and experienced people to mentor me through that in the beginning, because otherwise, I had this. I had this Mustang mare who was pregnant, who wanted nothing to do with me, who was very sensitive and I was totally lost on my own. And so I was very lucky to have folks to help me and mentor me through. And that's, you know, one of the things I've learned along the way and what Mustang Heritage Foundation has really kind of pushed through this and prioritized is that mentorship is perhaps the most important Part of the process and assistance in Absolutely. that initial initial channeling stage is the most important part of the process.
1: Well, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to someone that's considering, um, you know, joining and, and participating in in TIP or or an EMM? Or you know, it sounds like you you kind of had your experience. You you worked with uh, a wild horse on on your own at first. But what about folks that don't have any experiences what What would you tell them?
3: I definitely find. Find a mentor, whether or not they go through the tip program or adopt out of a makeover or find one that's already saddle started that somebody is selling in the private sector. like Find find a trusted mentor, find an instructor that they trust. Um, the nice thing about finding a tip trainer is these are trainers that have already been vetted. They have facilities that are appropriate for Mustangs. But, so it makes that vetting process a lot easier. Sure. Um, and then of course they still need to even among tip trainers they need to vet those trainers themselves to determine which ones the best fit for them and for their goals for that horse and be realistic about their goals and their time frame and their their expectations because I, that's the what i found to be the the most difficult thing is some people just don't have realistic expectations when they get into adopting a Mustang and and adopting a horse in general. Um, horses are not vehicles; they're not a you know a dirt bike that you can send to a mechanic and get tuned up and then take <laughs> them out from the garage every every couple months and have a have a nice time. There's something it's a it's a family member you're taking on that definitely requires constant relationship building. You're you're constantly needing to put time and effort and work on yourself as well. So it's, you have to be realistic about expectations and be willing to put in all of that time and effort and and money and everything into- right.
1: You um, mentioned a little earlier that you've been a tip trainer since the the beginning, so that's coming up on, what, 14 years now, I guess. Um, but so what is – and then you just mentioned the the vetting process, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. We do uh, – MHF works very closely with BLM to make sure that we're vetting out our tip trainers, that we have good representatives not only of the foundation and BLM, but that are going to do a good job with the horses. So kind of – For those folks that don't know, what does that vetting process look like uh, to become a tip trainer? Like, how how did you become a tip trainer, and how does someone else who might be interested become a tip trainer?
3: Yeah, so I mean, there's obvious facility requirements. So you know, adopting a or caring for a wild horse is unlike caring for a domestic horse in the sense that they can and they will test fences when you are in a small small. Space with them with you know you they will test even a six foot fence i have seen a short little 14hand Mustang jump over a six foot fence even a wow. solid fence you know so they they can and will test fencing so these fencing requirements these facility requirements are put in place for a reason so the facility requirements are are kind of the first stage of the vetting process is to make sure that they have six foot fencing that solid and safe. That's going to keep the horse safe and keep you safe um, while you're interacting with the horse through this process. Um, That it's large enough that the horse won't feel too much pressure from you, small enough that they can't get so far away that they won't be able to be managed during the training process. Um, Trailer requirements, obviously, so that they're safe during transport. And then to vet you as a trainer, um, there's Requirements of references. So you need to have references from people who have seen you train horses, and they write you references to say, "Yes, I've seen them work with horses. I think that they can be successful in this program." Um, there are, I believe, there's there's questionnaire. There's a questionnaire where you're yep. answering questions about how how you um, handle certain situations with horses, how how you um, how you work with horses essentially. And you need to have a, a veterinarian and a farrier and things like that. And so, um, there's, it kind of sets things up in that way. And then what, what's important to me is that the, there's requirements on follow-up. So, uh, tip trainers, can be compliance checked at any time by the Bureau of Land Management so they can come check the facility if there's any um, issues with the care of the horses or the training is not using least resistance methods. Um, The tip tip trainer status can be revoked um, by the Mustang Heritage Foundation or the Bureau of Land Management. And so that's really important to make sure that um, the quality of the trainers maintains
1: Definitely. Definitely. I think that's a really, really good point to bring up there, Stephanie, is that, you know, it's not a once you apply, you're, you're guaranteed for life. We do um, require annual renewals of your tip trainer status and making sure that everything's up to snuff and hunky dory and all that. Um, so, it, you know, we, we want to make sure first and foremost, priority number one, um, and I'm sure you can attest to this, is making sure that we're taking good care uh, of the animals that are, that are in our care, um, uh, and getting them placed into good homes. And that's, that's priority number one. Um, so I guess for folks that, um, you know, might be looking at, at adopting or purchasing, I mean, how, how would they contact and connect with a tip trainer? I mean, is there uh, a network that, that you have? I mean, how do folks plug in to, to learn more?
3: there's a good list that's kept fairly up to date on the Mustang Heritage Foundation website. So that way, um, from wherever you are in the country, you can find, um, an up-to-date map of tip trainers, um, and find a tip trainer near you and contact them. That way you can connect with them and say, see what kind of horses they have in training with them. And if they don't have any horses with them, sometimes you can just make a plan with them and say, Hey, on your next load, just want you to know that I'm, interested and let's, let's get a horse on your, on your list for me. So really that's the, that's the best way. Um, and a lot of tip trainers work that way, work better that way as well, because then the, the adopters can be a part of that training process. Sure. So I know I, I really prefer to work that way where the adopter kind of has a horse in mind from the beginning and then we can work. We can have that adopter out through the gentling process, work with them and and you know with that in mind that if it doesn't work out, if during that process we realize that the personalities mismatch and you know there's a chance that this could be the wrong horse for you and you need to reassess um, of course. But you know being involved throughout the process is definitely an excellent way to, to go about that. So contact a tip trainer and finding them through the directory on the MHF website is, is a great start. Cool. And finding one that's close to you so that you can be part of the process is a great option.
1: Well, we're kind of starting to run a little short on time, but uh, what's, what's been your most memorable experience that you've had <laughs> working with, um, you know, whether it's an extreme Mustang makeover or that youth employment program or tip or, or just a Mustang experience in general, what's, what's been your most memorable experience working with an MHF program or something Mustang related?
3: Each one will, will teach you something new. I mean, I've worked with hundreds of Mustangs at this point in my career that, and each one of them still will teach you something new if you're open to it. And I, I think back to my very first Mustang all the time, who's, not with me now. Now, unfortunately she's passed. And I, I think back to her now all the time thinking, man, if I knew then what I know now, mm-hmm. like, man, what, what could I have accomplished with her then? You know,
1: pretty solid answer. Well, I hate, <laughs> Hate to cut you off, but it's been great having you uh, on the show with us today, um, but we uh, have to move on to our next segment. So I, I hope that the the training process stays fruitful and productive out there in Deer Trail, Colorado, and you don't get hit with too much snow. I think you guys are slated <laughs> to get some here in the near future, but uh, hopefully uh, it, it stays nice and, and trainable as far as the weather is, or you can train during the weather, whatever. Um, but thank you for everything that you do, and thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Awesome. Thank you so much,
2: Alex. Our next guest is Luke Castro, an eight-time Extreme Mustang makeover trainer. Tell us a little bit about um, how you got involved with Extreme Mustang makeovers and kind of your experience there.
4: Um, So I got involved. uh, I actually was at a local Gymkhana and ran into a gal who was a trainer. I immediately got hooked on, you know, that she had a Mustang and was like, you know, Something that I always kind of wanted to to do was to adopt the Mustang, and I kind of got to talking to her. And she said that she was actually competing at a makeover and said the horse only had, at the time, maybe 60 days of training, and I was just blown away. And from then on, you know, I just kind of pushed forward and said, I got I to gotta try this. So in 2014, I applied, was not approved, which was probably a good thing because I didn't have enough experience at the time. Um and then I applied again in 2015 and was approved.
2: So 2015 was your first competition and tell us a little bit about how that went.
4: So uh 2015 was my first competition, and um I picked up a little 13 two hand uh, mare from Stone Cabin and she was wilder than wild and uh but within three weeks of working with her, I finally got to touch her. And three days after that, I was riding her. Um, and she just, she taught me so much. I mean, it. I, I only had her for, I think that, that competition was 100 days. But I mean, not many people can ride their horse down a busy street. And that mare went anywhere I told her to go and was happy to do it. I had a lot of fun on her. She did challenge me though. I mean, she was spicy and she was sassy and she had opinions about life and everything, but she ended up being a really amazing horse and really taught me a whole bunch.
2: That's really neat. Um, so since then, you've competed in several more since then, and I think you've also competed in Mustang Magic, one of our other events. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that was like?
4: Yeah. So, uh, after my first makeover that I did, I, I was fortunate enough to place third and was fan favorite. Um, and the cool thing is I I'd only been riding for four years, so it shouldn't, you know, before I go on to the next thing, like just to encourage people, don't be afraid, you know, experience is important, but you can also get help from other trainers. Uh, but after I, Placed in that one, I was invited to the Mustang Magic, and that that year that I went and competed was my first year going to Texas. We had so much fun, um, but I, it was clear that I needed to gain more experience, and I did not place well. Um, fortunately, I was invited back uh, the following year, didn't compete, and then the following year I competed, and I placed fifth and fan favorite and I actually came back the following year after that so 2019 and I was the Mustang Magic overall champion.
2: That's awesome. And that's one thing I wanted to I know you said this a couple of times but the Mustang Magic event is an invitation only. So it is really the, the you know the top of the top trainers um in our program. So that's that's really neat. One of the things that I kind of keep hearing this theme throughout your story and your competition is this sort of perseverance that you've had, Um, and I know that that has kind of carried you through your entire um, horse career, so can you tell us a little bit about your background, and you know, how you ended up getting involved with horses at all, and you know, for a lot of people that horses can kind of change the trajectory of your life, Um, I know that's certainly been true for myself, Um, can you tell us a little bit about about that?
4: Absolutely. So um, I grew up in uh, kind of a not-so-good situation, not-so-good neighborhood, um, and, and kind of in an abusive family. My dad was an alcoholic and a drug addict and caused a lot of issues for us. We were homeless for a while. So as a result of kind of, you know, all the bad, I ended up um, being diagnosed with something called agoraphobia, which is a fear of leaving the house and the way I kind of got over it was through animals. So I always wanted to do, I uh, always wanted to be an animal trainer of some sort, have something to do with animals, veterinarian, something. So the way my mom got me out of the house, the only way she could was to take us to the park, the local park. And next door to the park was an old Arabian ranch. And uh, while the other kids are playing, you know, on, the, on, the slide and all that, I was sitting there in the field just watching the horses switch their tails. So I was extremely um attracted to the horses and stuff like that. So eventually I didn't mean the agoraphobia was pretty bad for a long time. And I ended up getting into horses um and they really pulled me out. But when I really started to see a difference was with the Mustangs. Um I realized that we have a lot in common you know uh, they kind of have a rough upbringing in a way and so did I and they were kind of wild and so was I and they were kind of shy and so was I so I really um, in bringing them out of where they were they brought me out of where I was so they really pushed me and then you know over and beyond what I ever thought I would be able to do to the point where You know, I've been traveling now for the past four years, four or five years, back and forth to Texas and to other states just to compete in the Mustang makeovers.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's um, I I think your story is it's it's really unique and it's it's really amazing. And I think it really speaks to to your um, perseverance as well as, you know, like you said this similarity with the perseverance of the Mustangs as well. Um, So tell me a little, I I know that you, like you said, you kind of travel all over, but I know you have a training facility there um, in California and you take in domestic horses as well. Um, So tell me a little bit about what it's like to work with domestic horses versus Mustangs.
4: You know, to be completely honest, and this may get me into some trouble, but I like Mustangs a lot better. (laughs) They're a lot, they're a lot smarter, um, in my opinion, you know, they've been through life a little bit, so they understand they have kind of what I would call some, what I would call street smarts. They have range smarts and herd smarts. So they're a lot easier, almost easier to train once you get past that first, you know, the first touch and all that stuff. The domestic horses, um, for me are, uh, spoiled, Um, and, you know, kind of, kind of have this attitude where they're entitled and, you know, they've, they've kind of been handed everything. So they don't quite understand, um, the training process as quickly as horses do, uh, mustangs do. So, um, I, I like training the mustangs better. And I also like the transformation. I just like to see them, you know, they come in so wild sometimes and they go from that to, you know, kids' horses. So it, that for me is really fun. Um, and I really appreciate them for that reason.
2: That's, that's really, um, neat to kind of hear the difference between the two. And, and I really like what you said, they kind of have the street smarts or the range smarts. Um, that's, that's really neat. Um, so what would you, if you were encouraging somebody to get involved, you know, a a trainer or an adopter or anybody, What would you tell them about competing in an extreme Mustang makeover or, you know, just getting involved with Mustangs or the Mustang Heritage Foundation?
4: So the Mustang Heritage Foundation has been amazing for me. They've been, you know, they've pretty much have been like almost like my college, you know, and every horse is my professor and I learned so much from them. Um, the staff at Mustang Heritage Foundation is amazing as well. I mean, So supportive. So if, you know, for a lot of new people, that might be scary, you know, to, Oh, well, we have to deal with these new people and they might be weird or rude or, or expecting so much out of us, but they really are so supportive. I mean, Stormy, who is one of the directors of the show, he's, he's been so amazing to me and, You know, I've learned a lot just from watching him at the shows. And the Mustang family is incredible. I mean, there's not a more supportive equine community than the Mustang community. Uh, We all want to help each other as much as possible. And we all have one thing in common, and that's that we want to see these horses out of holding pins and into homes. So for me, that's, you know, kind of what it's about. Um, I really, you know, I like to see them go from, you know, they're in holding pins to into somebody's home and that person's enjoying them and happy and the horse is happy. uh, It's one less in holding pins.
2: Right. Um, What advice would you, um, what advice would you give to a, a new owner or a new adopter
4: so my advice is always, you know, if you're a beginner, like a raw beginner, this is your first horse, you know, it's probably not the best route for you, but if you can get somebody to help you, that, that would be my main thing. Reach out, you know, like I said, the Mustang community is so supportive and we all want to help each other. So reach out, do your research, um, and be ready and be willing, you know, cause it's not going to be easy, but I do believe. Uh, I think the world would be a lot better place if we all had to train a Mustang from wild to mild. Um, it'll teach, it can teach you so much.
2: Um, I, I think that that's really great advice. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, reaching out and always being kind of willing to, to learn from other people is really important. I, I'm going to kind of throw back here to something you said earlier and, he might, he might kill me for this, but, um, I, I think you're exactly right. Um, as far as the trainers, if you're signed up as a, as a trainer in the extreme Mustang makeover is that, um, something that's really unique is that stormy, our director of equine programs, he is always available. I, I think he's on the phone all the time with trainers, um, just helping him through issues and kind of talking them through any questions that they may have, um, so I think that's something that's that's really unique as well. Um, so what yes. can we expect to see from you this year, Luke? Are you doing any competitions? Any extreme Mustang makeovers?
4: So yes, I am. I'm actually really excited. I'm hoping everything gets to stay live. I did com- compete in the two virtual events that they had last year, um, Kentucky and the Los Angeles events, and they were fun. But I do miss the live portion of it. So, um, I am actually competing in the SoCal tip challenge, which I normally am actually judging for, but I decided this year I got to get in on the fun. Um, so I'm competing in that. I also, I also signed up for all three makeovers. So I signed up for Oklahoma, Kentucky, and New Jersey, whether or not I'll be able to get there and get it done. I'm not sure, but, um, I'm, I sure I was happy to apply, and I hope to be on the arena floor uh, when it comes time to show. I also well, um, was invited to Rising Stars, uh, which was supposed to be held um, in 2020. And unfortunately, because of COVID, we had to move to this year. So in January 2021, I will be competing for Rising Stars as well.
2: Yeah, the and the I think January twenty twenty two. Um twenty twenty two, I'm yeah. sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's it's like twenty twenty never ended, believe me, I exactly. understand. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but Rising Stars is a really unique um exciting format that we're excited that, that will be coming up in 2022 at the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. Um we're looking forward to that. Um but we'll definitely be cheering you on. We're excited to see you at the Extreme Mustang Makeovers um this year. Like Luke said, we have 3 coming up this year um in Kentucky, Oklahoma City and in New Jersey. Um so Thank you so much, Luke, for your time. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, we, We really appreciate it, and we're always cheering you
4: on. Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Well, you know, it's been a very exciting episode today, and thank you all for uh, tuning in and, l- and listening to us. Hopefully, you learned a little bit about uh, MHF. We've got some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, our deadline for the Kentucky Mustang makeover uh, actually closed yesterday, February the 1st, but if you're still wanting to get in on the action, we have our applications for our Oklahoma City and New Jersey events open until March the 1st, so be sure to uh, get those applications in it's very quick and painless. Check out uh, heritagefoundation.org to do that. Uh, Michelle, any other final closing comments from you?
2: Yeah, I just want to mention that um, you can, both our guests today, um, we have a great video of Stephanie, um, more on her story um, on our website, and we have a great article in our Impact Report, which you can also find on our website, um, about Luke and his story. So, Check out both of those. Um, You can find us online at mustangheritagefoundation.org you can also follow us on facebook and instagram just search mustang heritage foundation and extreme mustang makeover you can also follow horses in the morning on facebook search for horses in the morning you can have all of the horse radio network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iphone and android just go to your app store and search horse radio network we want to give a big shout out and a thank you to our sponsor for this episode western horsemen And here's hoping you get to bring a Mustang home.